0: Welcome to the Career Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's episode is our founder and CEO, Mr. Fred Studley. Fred's on the phone with a gentleman named Tony Botzos, who built his career in the jewelry business, and he talks about the many changes in that industry over the past 50 years, ranging from how to keep in contact with your customers via a little black book that had records of their prior purchases through the modern practice of social media as a way to maintain a customer network and the role the internet's played in purchasing and decisions. He'll talk about the evolution of gold and diamonds in the role of the jewelry industry and the selling techniques and the inventory management considerations key to making a business successful in today's marketplace and in the jewelry business. It's a fascinating conversation and Tony has the view of it starting in the shipping and receiving department of a small jewelry store, finishing while working for some of the major jewelry chains in the country. Enjoy the conversation. It's really a fascinating episode.
1: We're here with Tony Bazzos at CareerPod. He'll be talking about the jewelry industry and his decades of experience in that area. Tony, welcome.
2: Welcome. Good to talk to you.
1: Thank you. Well, Tony, let's start at the uh, beginning, uh, maybe uh, briefly where you were brought up, and uh, maybe some of your education, and then maybe early on, uh, what drove you to uh, your first positions in jewelry?
2: Uh, well, I was brought up in Boston, Mass, in a uh, in the south end of Boston, and uh, to a, I guess you'd say, middle to lower class uh, family. Um, and I went to high school in Boston, and that's where, believe it or not, my career began. It was not in college. Uh, by necessity, my uh, family needed money, and my brother was working in the jewelry business as a shipper and receiver. And when he left to go into uh, construction, uh, I took his place because my mother said, "You have to take his place because we need uh, we need that extra income." So I went into the jewelry business because I had no choice. Well, was a brilliant
1: career choice that your mother had for you, <laughs> right? Okay. I mean,
2: she did, she right. did, and, uh, and in a ever since. Uh,
1: so where would you go to uh, college, Tony? Uh,
2: I went to college at Northeastern University, and it did have a co-op program. And uh, what I managed to do was convert my co-op job into uh, what I was doing in high school. I stayed in the jewelry industry.
1: Okay, good enough. And uh, what was the nature of your early jobs in jewelry? Uh,
2: you know, it's It's funny. Uh, <laughs> This kind of explains everything about, in a nutshell, my early career. Uh, I was hired as the shipper-receiver to replace my brother, who did that for three years. And uh, it took me the grand total of six months uh, to figure out that if I wore a tie uh, to work, Not only could I do shipping and receiving, but if I finished quick enough, they'd let me out on the sales floor to take care of the uh, jewelers coming in. And I loved it so much, I purposely finished everything quickly so I could put on a tie and go out and work on the sales floor. That
1: was pretty good. Good thinking on your part. Uh, Did you tie your own tie? Was this a clip-on?
2: It's funny you say that. I did tie my own tie, but I kept it in the store, and it was already knotted, so I just put it around my collar.
1: All right. Very good. Good planning. Uh, how about the, the credentials that became apparent as you uh, started your career in, in jewelry, uh, either aptitude or, or specialized training or maybe even later on uh, certificates that you had to gain? What what were the experiences and credentials that uh, really a person should look for to gain?
2: In, in that particular business, there was nothing more important than having a sales personality, uh, be aggressive and be a good communicator, that above all else, all the technical part of it, uh, that could be easily learned. Uh, the difference uh, in what I think uh, I found in myself and the people that I worked with going forward is they all shared the same trait, which uh, was, if you will, a sales personality.
1: Okay. Uh, were there any, uh, uh, I think I recall, certificates in gemology or something like that, were they to be gained later in a career or early on or doesn't matter?
2: You know what? It almost doesn't matter. Yes, I got, I got the only certificate I ever got. I got 25 years after I uh, uh, was in the business and it was a diamond uh, certificate, a GA diamond certificate. And frankly, I had already made uh, two careers without ever having them.
1: Okay. Okay. so it's it's really about the aptitude uh, uh, to sell, to have the interpersonal skills. Um, any any particular, uh, parts of that that are important in jewelry? It's it's uh, fine jewelry. You worked in environments where you were selling precious stones. Uh, what can you comment on in terms of the interaction between the customer prospect, if you will, and the salesperson? Uh, what's important in that interaction?
2: Uh, being able to relate to the customer and not have him relate to you. There was nothing more important than being able to uh, figure out how to read your customer right away. And sometimes they wanted it uh, very personalized. Sometimes they wanted it very professional. Sometimes they wanted the presentation to be uh, almost uh, just a, a friendly conversation. And others, that would have turned them off. It's a salesman knowing how to relate to the customer in front of them. In wanting to close the sale, Uh, some uh, people—it's all about the social part of it—and they forget that they're they're closing a sale. I was taught very early in life uh, that closing the sale is the most important thing. The less you say, the better.
1: Right. Yeah. uh, A baseball player typically remembers their first hit. Uh, Sometimes a real estate person can remember their first sale. Uh, Any early uh, interaction with a customer that you recall?
2: Sure. One I'll never forget. Uh, selling a Rolex watch back in uh, those days was uh, the, ultimate, uh, the ultimate sale. And I had an opportunity to sell a Rolex President, which at that time was around $3,500, which is now over 25000 But I was selling it to an Asian doctor. It made the sale. Difficult presentation. He was very, very – he asked every question in the world. I went to set the watch – and pulled the crown out in order to set it. And I pulled the crown right out of the watch, (laughs) right in front of him. And without batting an eyelash, I looked up at him and said, oh, I just want you to know we always have the crown and stem removed so we can give it to our watchmaker upstairs and he can reset it to your tolerances. (laughs) I'll never forget it. And that's the truth.
1: (laughs) Adaptive uh, thinking there. And, And the sale was complete?
2: Yeah, yeah, I made the sale. He uh, believed that, uh, you know, that crown was supposed to come out. Yeah. And uh, well, you, you, you I made the sale. Something.
1: That's good. Congratulations. And you spent your commission really quickly, right?
2: You Sure did.
1: All right. Uh, how about, uh, again, particularly in your type of occupation group, uh, mentors uh, can be very important, people that uh, maybe not with a formal title or even the understanding that they're a mentor but it just comes naturally as part of their style. You have a couple mentors throughout the whole length of your career that you could point to that were helpful.
2: Sure. The first one was at, at Lewis A. Jacobson's. His name was Bill Keating. I will never forget him. And uh, he was a salesman. He was the non-family salesman. It was a very small company. There were only six, six people and three were family members. And uh, he was just the consummate salesman. He just, uh, he could, he could have sold anything in his, uh, in, in his career. And, uh, he is the person who I was kind of assisting when I'd go on the sales floor. And he taught me right from the beginning how important it was to be able to get uh, uh, a rapport, develop a rapport with the customer and being able to read the customer because those customers were just like the public. They Some represented very fancy stores and they didn't want anything but a quick professional presentation so they could pick up the jewelry and leave. And others wanted to talk for 20 minutes and he knew which ones were which and how to make the sale.
1: How about uh, before we go too far, out on the limb here in terms of selling and closing sales. There's a there's a, a tipping point here because I suspect like most industries it's about repeat business. a uh, person buying a diamond or whatever, you want referrals. And is there is there some tipping point where you realize, gee, this given what they've told me, this item is too expensive for them, or it's what I've got in inventory and it really isn't what they look, they're look they looking for. Uh, how about that tension between closing and making sure you're selling something that's aligned with their stated needs so that you can get repeat business and referrals? How about that kind of tension? Any comment on that?
2: In my business, it was always sell what you have first. And you, you, you certainly can't jam something down somewhat, particularly since the first... Uh, uh, Eight years of my career was in the wholesale end, so you're selling to jewelers. So you're not going to convince them to buy something that they don't want because they have to go and sell it in the store. But suggestive selling is what was so important when I first came into the business unfortunately it's a lost art now everybody because of the internet whatever you ask for they go out and try and find exactly that they forget that the, that person could say well you know what instead of that this this is really really uh, very close to what you want and it's even a better deal in trying to sell what you have because you've got an inventory which you have to move
1: hmm. yeah the, the phrase suggestive selling kind of is a uh, provocative one in that, uh, you know, it, it kind of bridges the gap between what's available and what they're they're, they're stating they're looking for. So that is interesting. Uh, how about uh, if you look at the basic responsibilities for those that are considering entering the jewelry field, either retail or wholesale, it's probably easier to understand the retail uh, job and what the responsibilities are. You know, would take us through briefly uh, what a typical day looks like in terms of selling and and managing the inventory, and and you know, if a person has a supervisory role, what kind of uh, training or or directional responsibilities might exist? If you could do that,
2: there's a universality there. Frankly, it doesn't matter. That's one of the few things that has remained constant in the past. Forty years, the 50 years that I've been in it, you still have to be able to read the customer. It that, it doesn't really matter, uh, even though everything about selling jewelry now versus 50 years ago is different. There's there's almost nothing the same because 50 years ago you were selling based on blind trust and personal relationship. Because jewelry, basically, with the exception of a watch, is a blind item. You can't really compare exact. Whereas now, uh, with the commoditization of diamonds, so much of it you can do and and see on the internet and compare. But the one thing that remains the same is being able to read your customer and just be able to relate to them on their level so they feel comfortable completing the sale.
1: Beyond the selling, Tony… What what does a person do? There's no one in the shop. Uh, what what does the uh, salesperson or uh, first line supervisor do for when there's no one in the store?
2: Uh, again. It's so different. Back in the old days, it was resetting the counters, changing everything around so it looked different, even if it wasn't different. So the customer that came in every week didn't think they were looking at the same merchandise. So we were trained to reset the cases, change what, ca- what merchandise merchandises and what cases, and even change how it's assorted in the case so it looks different. Today, it's strictly or all clientele Everything is being able to uh, contact if, if through uh, a social media. A customer is to come through to try and create some experience because they're not just walking in the door like they used to in the old days.
1: Okay. So with social media, and we'll talk about this in, in a second, it, it's been transformative in that uh, how you connect with a person is on the Internet your sourcing is on the internet and how you close is on the internet. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a big, huge change.
2: Well, not the closing part. The closing part still isn't on the internet. Uh, unless, I mean, there are people who will buy merchandise now on the internet without ever seeing anybody because they don't want to see anybody. Uh, that's probably the biggest difference totally in the relationship and retail now, versus years ago, years ago, it was personal personal based. Now, it's strictly uh, people will go on and do all of their research on the Internet and feel very comfortable spending uh, 10, 15, I've seen it, $20,000 on the Internet without ever seeing anyone.
1: You know, you think stereotypically about the customer um, in jewelry and, and you think about the first engagement ring and the first wedding rings uh and then periodically jewelry throughout the career of their life um then you've got the investor that has rightfully or wrongfully looked at jewelry as a as an investment and and so forth uh are those are those and other stereotypical types of customers still available uh to the the retailer in the marketplace
2: for the most part i think the whole investment uh, uh, theory uh, is is short people understand that it doesn't it doesn't always have to go up that bubble burst years ago when gold went from like 1300 went up to 1500 or 2000 dollars an ounce and then dropped down to 400 and when the diamonds uh, skyrocketed about 20 years ago and then dropped down once that uh, happened the whole idea, of the, it's always going to go up in value. It really, for the most part, isn't. It's an emotional purchase, and uh, I believe it's still an emotional purchase.
1: And the other part of the, the field is what we do with gold now. we, uh, you know, There's a fair market for melting it down, and the value is not in the, the design of many of the items we may have collected over the years, but just in the, the weight of the gold. I guess that's uh, a change, too.
2: Yeah, but it's still the same thing. Once gold took a dive, which it did several years ago, that bubble burst. The idea that oh, gold's always going to go up, diamonds will always go up, that burst. It changed the whole dynamic of people saying, well, I know that I can't lose money because it's always going to go up. doesn't happen.
1: How about the uh, the whole issue about diamonds and, you know, the the value of the diamond it's it's you could argue i guess there could be an unsemi- unlimited supply of diamonds uh if if uh, the producers wanted it to be so it's somewhat a controlled uh supply source and then the companion issue is uh the synthetic diamonds now that are being made have, have kept increasing in their their quality uh could you comment about both the 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 fixed supply or the controlled supply about diamonds and we've all seen our favorite movies on the the subject about blood diamonds and everything else and then then the issue about synthetics and the quality that uh, they've achieved
2: It's really, you know what, it's funny you should say that because what's what's changing the industry and what's going to change industry going forward is not synthetics it's growing real diamonds Uh, they have processes now where they literally can grow a diamond. And it's got chemically, it's 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 virtually impossible. I certainly can't see the difference. Uh, it's, it's, so much of it is is uh, uh, similar now to a diamond because it's actually uh, a, a controlled manufacturer of diamonds. Synthetics mean a fake diamond. They actually can now grow diamonds.
1: Is that similar the same, to the, the pearl farming that goes on?
2: Uh not really, it, because this is done. Full farming is just when they put a seed in uh, a mollusk, uh, oyster, or uh, clam, and it grows because it has the seed in it and the nacre goes around it. This is actually done, and um, what they've done electronically or whatever, is they literally can replicate how diamonds grow over thousands and millions of years and do it in a controlled manufactured environment.
1: Well, that's interesting. It is, uh, next question would have to do with emerging technologies changing the industry, and certainly that would be one, uh, a significant one. Yeah, no question. How about satisfaction? Uh, and the alternative is frustration in your career, or you can go to a job situation, the, the kind of satisfaction you received, uh, or in uh, in general about your career, and we'll talk about the flip side also. How about, first of all satisfaction what has given you satisfaction
2: yeah the path that's given me satisfaction has remained constant i love the idea of getting being measured by results and over and over again being able to look and say that was a good day that was a good week that was a good month that was a good year you you got you, there was a measuring stick uh, before computers, every week when I was running stores, I had a call into the central office in Dallas and report every single store sales month to date. And that feeling of being able to report sales uh, and and knowing that you were being measured by that, I loved it. I loved the fact that you, every day you knew how you were doing when you looked at the store sales.
1: Yeah, that that, that feedback is kind of a constant. Uh, through a lot of the people we've talked at, on career pod uh, and oftentimes if you don't have an objective measure you're left to, to get feedback from others the supervisor and so forth so it's uh, it's it's an important component for many people that look for satisfaction out of their work how about the flip side Tony the the dissatisfiers the
2: dissatisfiers is uh through, again, through my career is when there was a disconnect between myself and senior management or a disconnect between myself and the group reporting to me. We weren't, we didn't have this. For some reason, there weren't shared goals or shared, shared, uh, um, responsibilities. So I was really fortunate in my career working for just uh, Three companies, uh, over a period of time and any number of jobs that I always had senior management that was, um, had the same vision and, and, and I felt like I had people who I were reporting to who were really capable and qualified. The only time that that blew up is when Zale Corporation was bought by another company, and they brought in people who had a different dynamic altogether than the fine jewelry industry. And that was probably, singularly, the most unsatisfying part of my career. And it ended rather quickly because I totally reorganized, and everybody was gone anyway.
1: When, when you left jobs, and... and... As I recall, uh, prior discussion, you typically would go someplace and stay there for some time. Uh, in when you did leave companies, any what would tend to trigger a move uh, from one company <laughs> to another?
2: Good question, because for the most part, it's when the company went out of business, all was bought. Uh, it happened. Uh, well, when I left Jacobsons, I left because uh, because. I had that opportunity when I graduated from Northeastern I made a, a huge decision um which was probably the most important decision I ever made in my career and that was to step out of my comfort zone where I'd been for uh 8 years uh, straight out of college I had 8 years experience I could have stayed there and instead joined a training program for the largest jewelry uh, corporation at the time and uh it just that was a big big step other than that that when zale corporation uh totally uh, was purchased and uh another company took it over i left then i went to uh Finley's basement when i was running the lease department for gordon brothers for, for 14 years then filings basement closed and i left so for the most part i left when the company he was either bought or went out of business yeah, yeah. i stayed there i stayed on I, right. I on.
1: And yet when you did leave, you took that risk, you were rewarded. I, I think that's one thing we're we're seeing as a trend. Uh staying is comfortable, but uh you know, getting uncomfortable uh in making a job change, uh for the most part can be very rewarding for people. Uh but nevertheless, uh we we get used to, you know, our environment, our supervisor and, and our job. So that's a, a strong influence. If you look back at your career, uh, any major things you would have done differently?
2: I've been so fortunate. <laughs> I know. It's just uh, anything I would have done differently, probably if I had the opportunity, but I don't think I would have been happy. Uh, it, would, it would have been really changing. Uh, the way that I felt about the industry when Zale Corporation got taken over by department store people. And the whole idea of decentralized operations of fine jewelry stores was just cookie cutter, jam everything centrally distribute, distributed out. And I, I couldn't do it. I, I chose not to do it. I couldn't do it. I wasn't willing to change. And I left. But that led to probably the most exciting and profitable uh, and rewarding uh, position I ever had, which was developing the leased jewelry departments at the uh, uh, Farines Basement Stores for Gordon Brothers. And uh, it was a wonderful experience and one I never would have had if I had stayed at sale.
1: How about the, the role of luck in good luck and bad luck? Uh, and sometimes it's it's not anything you did. But on the other hand, activity can lead to good and bad luck. Uh, Warren Buffett met Bill Gates, because they just happened to go to a uh, conference, and they didn't meet during the conference. They met just walking across uh, this uh, quad in, I think it was in a university setting, and they bumped into each other and had a lengthy discussion outside. And And that led to more discussions and and a a very unique uh, friendship and relationship. So that was good luck that they met, uh, but they both had to commit to go to this conference. And that's the path they can control. So with that kind of long preamble, any instances of good luck and bad luck in your career?
2: Sure. I can... (laughs) I've said it before, so I've said it to a number of different people. The luckiest thing that ever happened to me was being born in 1946. As far as my career goes, nothing had more impact on a successful career that I've had than being the oldest baby boomer you could possibly be. And then joining an industry that was built to to develop uh, and fill the needs of that group as it grow up where I was twenty when people were twenty and getting engaged. I was twenty-five and running a jewelry store when that the baby boomers after me were looking for engagement rings. I was thirty when they were buying wedding rings and buying anniversary rings. I was there, and the demand was being fueled by that biggest group of uh, uh, of people coming in after World War Two. So I guess. Being born in 46, I hit the jackpot.
1: Yeah, no, it's very true because the the boomers have plenty of failings in terms of our, uh, because I'm a member of that group also, the uh, failures in terms of whether it be government or, uh, you know, civic activities and so forth or wars, but we certainly have been consumers and uh, that's fueled. You know, whether it be the auto industry and, and, but in specific to jewelry, you're right. It's the whole arc of growth, uh, and, you know, harvest and then, you know, uh, radical change in, in the more recent decade. So it's, uh, you're right. That was good luck. So you, you were, thank you. You, I hope you thank your your mother at least for this I okay. sure
2: I did thanks, right. thanks dad for coming home after the war yeah you
1: right. how about the the flip side the the bad luck
2: hmm. how lucky am I? <laughs> <laughs> I i I thought of that and I'm, I'm just you know I just have had such a charmed career in that when I left a business i I I found other opportunities and grew into that, and probably uh, I, I can't really say that I had any part of me that I could say, wow, I really was," uh, you know, I, "I really missed the bat over, uh, over here" because I really don't feel like that.
1: Okay, how about one lesson you may have learned, uh, you know, that you could uh, pass on to others about, you know, career and and opportunity? What what kind of lesson? Did you learn?
2: Uh, the, the greatest lesson I learned is I had to change. Um, I know that uh, the one time that I didn't, but I told you it, it worked out well, is when Zale Corporation changed. They got uh, the ownership changed. They brought in department store centrally uh, distributed and centrally directed operation, cookie cutter, which was totally different than the uh, uh, organization that I grew up in, which was a mentoring system and decentralized. and Everybody ran their own group. I didn't change. But. If I didn't change, I never could have stayed in the industry because, frankly, uh, 60, 70, you can pick a number, percent of what I learned in my first 15, 20 years in the business is no longer relevant now. And I couldn't have stayed into the business uh, till uh, last year, which is when I retired, if I hadn't changed. So I, I really learned to adapt uh except that part of it that I could did accept and then just just keep going forward with what I learned i didn't hold on to the past because if i did i wouldn't be here
1: okay that that's very valuable especially as we talk to mid careerists and late careerists this the workplace is so dynamic now with mergers and acquisitions or new technologies emerging that radically change how we do our work uh adaptive skills and the openness to change a really key piece of advice. I think I know where you're going to go here, but if I gave you a one to 10 scale uh, on your career as a whole, uh, how would you rate it?
2: <laughs> I'm going to say a 10 because I can't imagine having a more rewarding uh, career than I had right up until the last uh, position that I held uh, with the GBC and the wholesale end. I I managed to uh I had a lot of fun made a lot of money had a lot of success and uh couldn't imagine of doing anything else
1: how about for new entrants tony uh people who you know are in their you know early 20s and looking for a, a career uh and given how much change has taken place where we tend to get our jewelry at Walmart's, or we get it online. Uh, so some of the the major outlets that could be employers uh, just either aren't available, or there are relatively few jobs, so they may not be as rewarding. But if a person liked this field, uh, where do you start now? What would advice could you give that person?
2: I've had some experience in this recently because I have uh, still have some contact uh, with a retail uh, store that a dear friend of mine uh, um, owns, and uh, we'll go in there, and uh, when you're a jeweler, you're almost always a jeweler, so I still will do some, uh, have some transactions, but I've seen his daughter grow this business totally in a way to which I am not familiar and i marvel at it because i look at it and i just shrug my shoulders and I can't even imagine the kind of business she is, has been able to develop through the use of creating a community of friends through social media and getting like-minded people and even with all the technology and all the the uh, websites that you could go into and so forth she has created this network a viral network of uh, customers that come in and particularly making that major purchase, the diamond purchase. And they do it in a way that, again, like I said, I'm, <laughs> I am not familiar, but I watch it and I marvel at it because she has learned that that same, the one thing, the one characteristic she has that I had and her father had is this desire to be able to read your customer and understand how to relate to them in order to close a sale. And uh, I see it and it's amazing but she has adapted to that.
1: So Tony, uh, given what you described about her, uh, some of the basic selling skills and aptitude and, and responsibilities are there, but it's all about reaching the customer in a far different way.
2: Right, and, and and the way has changed dramatically over the years. Uh, I was trained in the old classic style of keeping a customer profile book. It was a little notebook that was the most valuable uh, thing that you could have. You never shared it with anybody. It was your customers, what they bought, when their wife's birthday was, when their anniversary was, so that you could call them up beforehand, let them know that you had this bracelet that fit perfectly with the necklace that they had. If we ever tried that now, they, it would literally creep out today's millennials because they're not used to that. They see that as an infringement. They see that as somebody calling them up and what are you trying to do? Hustle me for whatever. The same thing happens now, but it happens in a different way. where through social media. Uh, Someone can put up on a website, this is so-and-so, we just got this in. What a perfect example for somebody to get this for an anniversary as it comes up. It's not intrusive, but it makes the same point and creates the same relationship.
1: Well, yeah, as I listened to you answered, uh, there's another issue that comes up in in your consumer base. In the old days, uh, I, I guess it was fairly chauvinistic, meaning... Uh, you you sold both to a a male and a female, but the male tended to be buying for the female. We all know then the female really was the decision maker in that purchase, if given the opportunity. But rightfully now, you've got the emergence of professionals uh, of both genders that are consumers and independent consumers. Uh, Can you speak to you know, females in the marketplace being uh, as dominant as you know, classically males were.
2: Sure, it's almost changed uh, 180 degrees. Uh, now, you know, the the old uh, jeweler, the, the very threatening uh, old uh, grumpy old man with a three-piece suit standing behind a counter uh, le- looking at you where you felt like, my God, whatever it is, I can't afford it. Uh, that's totally changed. Uh, when I started in the business, at the store I was in, which opened in 1822, uh, women were not allowed behind the, the diamond counter. They could sell anything else in the store, but not diamonds. <laughs> uh, it's amazing, but that's how it was. Uh, now, really, there's nothing more common as you walk into a store of seeing females behind a diamond counter, much less threatening.
1: Be a good career choice. Uh, for women and in, in also men, but uh, if there are more, at least my general observation, of women-to-women uh, interactions can be very uh, high quality. If you go to a, uh, buy a car now, I know of quite a few women that will seek out the female salesperson. How about stories? Uh, we like to give people that are on CareerPod the opportunity to offer any, Brief story. It can be positive. It can be uh, uh, just interesting, and may reflect half about your life and half about your career choices, or be all about career. Uh, given this opportunity, what what would you think
2: of? Probably the most uh, dynamic, if you will, or the most important and a fun story uh, that that I could possibly think of and stands out above all others is I spent those first 17 years with uh the fine jewelers gilders ale corporation which at that time represented the biggest names the most fine names in almost every city uh you you name the city and the old line jeweler there was part of the the fine jewelers gilders ale corporation uh it was the largest jewelry corporation uh, in, in the world at that time very very structured it was like the ibm if you will of the jewelry business uh to the point where you know we could wear gray suits and blue suits, but. Uh, No brown and sport coats only in the summer. And we had specialists for everything. We had the best of the diamond dealers all over the world. Uh, Everything was just uh, as structured as can be. When they sold out to uh, the company up in Canada that took them over and everything changed, I ended up uh, working and developing a relationship with someone and got the opportunity to go work for a company in Boston, Gordon Brothers, that was developing a whole new concept. And that was selling fine jewelry and lease departments in a highly promotional environment, which was Filene's Basement, 180 degrees from anything that I had ever done at Zale Corporation. I went from three-piece suits and very, very fine stores to chinos in a sports shirt, screaming and yelling 50% off all items in this store and running an operation that just ran from... Uh, uh, just It was a, a high energy and is crazed and anything I had ever imagined. And it turned out to be the most lucrative, satisfying uh, k- career I had uh, because, and it was so different than what I had been doing before, but it was so energizing and exciting. And we went from one location to 40 locations and from just the Boston store uh, to Chicago and New York and everywhere in between. So um I never thought I could do it. I remember the first time I went down to the basement, my skin crawled when I looked at how everything was just before they even had a jewelry department. It was like I wanted to take a shower when I left there. And it turned out that it was probably the best career move I had ever made.
1: That's true you recall that
2: but i couldn't have done that i couldn't have done that without a mentor also even that late in my career uh, michael Fries, who still is the chairman of a, a company in a in a different uh, forum but uh, he let me when i had no experience that into the business he gave me the opportunity to make mistakes and grow it and we grew it from one employee me uh, to over 250 employees so that was a uh, it was a great experience
1: yeah just to put this in context for people that Uh, haven't heard of Filings Basement. Filings Basement, you would typically have sales of 50, 80% off clothing and other types of uh, goods. And people uh, had no pretense there. People would change their clothing uh, in the aisles to try on dresses or pants or whatever. And you'd be walking around and this would be happening all around you as you were trying to buy something. And it was pretty much in the middle of the finance district in Boston. And uh, so you had people there with three-piece suits looking for a fine tie. Uh, and, you know, 20 feet away, a woman was disrobing. So this is the kind of chaos that existed. And Tony was contrasting with his prior environment. So sometimes when you look at employment, uh, yes, you want to look at your workplace, but it's it's a lot more important to really, before you accept a job, to talk to people there and get a sense of what the real culture is, what the we, real pace of work is, and uh, get closer to your work environment than what you see at the interviews. So so in in closing, Tony, thank you very much for the, the trip down memory lane. Uh, it, it says so much about change in industries and in career fields. Uh, There are still opportunities in in jewelry, but the person has to be adaptive and willing to go through even more change as we go ahead. So I want to thank you very much, and uh, thank you for being on CareerPod.
2: It was my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity of uh, letting me review the last 50 years. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Bye now.